Good morning, friends. Please rise and let's worship together.
everybody. Um, hey, welcome. Welcome to First Pres. Um, I'm Kristen Connor, in case you didn't know. Um, not, the uh, sorry, not the most familiar face y'all are um, used to. But um, Kathy's out of town and McLean's out of town, so I am filling in today. Um, it's so nice to be back. We missed most of December because kids being sick and all of that, and um, everyone was out in the community last weekend um, just serving, and um, Walt and I actually were pulling down vines on the wall outside, and he had a blast and didn't even know that that was work. Um, it was awesome. Um, but anyway, I'm so excited about this sermon series starting today, um, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I don't know if y'all have heard of John Mark Comer. Um, he's based out of the Pacific Northwest, and um, I've just listened to so many podcasts, and um, I've read a couple of his books, and he just is truly anointed by the Lord in the way that he challenges, the way that we live, and um, he just really wants us to live in the way that God intended us to. So um, let me go ahead and pray to get us started. Um, Father, just thank you so much for all those gathered here today, both in person and online. Prepare our hearts to listen well to this message today of ruthlessly eliminating the hurry in our lives so we can live the way you intended us to. Um, we praise you, Lord, for the birth of baby Kennedy to Maddie and Tommy Comfort. Help them feel your presence so strongly as they adjust to being a new family of four. And we also just pray for Brooks Cunningham's family as his grandmother passed away very unexpectedly a few days ago. Comfort them as they grieve, and um, we just pray that they will draw closer to you during this time. Amen. For this week's first press happenings, we are inviting you to our one word workshop this Wednesday from 5.30 to 7 p.m. here on our main campus. For those of you that have not heard of a one word workshop, this is a time where we gather together, there's a meal provided, we fellowship together, we worship together, and then you will select a word that will encourage you, it will challenge you, and it will draw you near to Jesus for the year 2022. For me, last year, my word was trust, and with everything that was kind of going around at the church, it's probably not a surprise, but let me tell you, when things started getting, when the winds came and I felt anxiety and I felt stress, that word, my word, was a source of grounding for me. And I know those of you that have participated before and had that word, that that word is something that grounded you as well. And it's, it's just a fun time. So again, it's this Wednesday from 5.30 to 7. Childcare is provided. And we just ask that you would go to our website, firstprestampa.org and register yourself and your family. We hope we can be there. Awesome, and I'm back. All right, um, let's talk about a little bit about giving. And um, since 2006, we as a church, I'm sure as you know, have had the privilege of partnering with Young Life Africa by sending over 100 First Pres members and hundreds more from the community on mission trips to Tanzania. For those of you who don't know, Young Life is a non-denominational Christian outreach to teenagers. Um, I personally have had the privilege on going two of these on two of these trips um, when I was in college, which, gosh, was a long time ago. <laughs> and all my family has gone, and actually, my mom and stepdad um, adopted my youngest brother out of those trips. So be careful if you go; you might end up with another kid. Um, and my husband and I have been um, supporting Young Life Africa specifically, both financially and. Um, through prayer and um, other support ways over the past 
um, many years, and we believe very strongly in Young Life um, and in their mission and their ministry, especially in Africa. Um, they are just bringing the hope of Jesus to kids who just don't have a lot to hope for or in. And um, next Sunday, we're super excited. We're hosting two of the Young Life Africa staff here during worship, and we don't want you to miss this opportunity to hear them speak about what they're doing um, and how they're serving Jesus in Ethiopia and Kenya. So please at least tune in or come next week. And um, just so y'all know, in case you weren't aware, um, because of your generosity, we as a church are helping sponsor the country of South Africa. And we're making it possible for Young Life to develop and grow there. And Alexis Kwame, who I met and now love so much from our trips to Tanzania, is now the vice president of all of the southern region of Africa. And he wants to thank us for our financial commitment to um, basically transform the lives of teenagers with the hope of Jesus. So we just look at this, watch this video. Brothers and sisters, I wish I had enough words to say thank you. And I know more of a lot of you will not want me to say thank you, but what we are feeling, staff, volunteer leaders in South Africa, from your gift to us, words are not enough to just say thank you. Uh, we've felt loved. We've felt that we are not walking this road alone. And my prayers for each one of you and each one of your families is that God will bless you out of his riches to satisfy all your need in Christ Lord our Jesus. Thank you so much. We are together. Welcome to Africa. Come and see. Come and visit. Thank you so much for holding our hands and walk with us this road that Christ has called us. Yes, you with us, we are changing the next and the future generation of Africa. It's unbelievable what God is going to do. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That was awesome. He's so great. And if you haven't met him, he is exactly like what you see in the video, just lovely and um, just amazing to be with. And First Prez is always going to commit, be committed to people in need locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally because it all matters to God. And I'm just so thankful that we aren't just sending money to people we don't know. We're sending money to support people that we do know and love and that we have the opportunity to do that. And um, just as a reminder, there on the slide is going to come up um, five ways that you can give and um, basically have a way to impact God's mission to the world. God's word calls us to praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his mighty deeds, praise him according to his excellent greatness. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Please stand and let's praise the Lord together.
Dear Lord, thank you for your goodness, your mercy, and your grace. Please help us to hold those wonderful gifts with us in our hearts and in our lives so we can share them with others around you and share your light and your love. And remind us that you are life. You are love. You are the light in the darkness. In your name we pray. One of the reasons that God is great is because of what we just sang. What we just sang says that it's your breath in our lungs. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed Ha'adam, the human being, the man, out of the dirt and dust of the ground and breathed life into his nostrils, and he became a living being. That's good stuff right there. Go look it up later. Genesis chapter 2. Before I tell you about a huge problem I have, the first thing I have to do is tell you about a great celebration that just came in the room this morning unexpectedly, sitting right here, right to my right, to your left, right up front right here, is Miss Dottie Womble. In October, she was 102 years old. Yep. Jim, Jim and Kelly Moody are sitting there with her. They hang out with Dottie, and Dottie is a fantastic human being. Dottie became a member of the First Presbyterian Church in October of 1950 in the year of our Lord. That's 72 years ago. And I, thirdly, I would say I'm grateful because Dottie was a part of the team of people that invited me 24 years ago to be the pastor of this church, and I just can't imagine not being here and doing this with you. Hey, anyhow, if you make it to 102, I guarantee you I'm going to say something about it. <laughs> so I do have a huge problem. And the huge problem is not that I have confused my calendar and, and that this is Christmas garb because it's clearly not Christmas and this is not Christmas garb. Go Bucks. Huh? Let's see some dreary. Let's have their tail feathers tucked between their legs as those birds leave here about 4 o'clock this afternoon. What do you say, huh? If you're a Philadelphia fan, bah! <laughs> Seriously, I have a huge problem. We're going to talk about my problem, which I think you have also. And we're going to talk about it for a while. We're going to sit down on top of this business Here's a way I'll illustrate. I got a bunch of illustrations. I go into Kawa on Henderson. It was in October, I think. And there's a man in there who had sort of introduced himself to me. And he says, I just want to sit down with you and visit. And I looked at him and I said, I can't. I'm too busy. I meant it. Jimmy Kazin, my good friend. I met him in 1980 when I moved here. Fitz, we got to talk. Kazen, I'm too busy. I blew Jimmy off. Jimmy and I finally had a good sit down last week. It was awesome, or two weeks ago. We caught up. Two hours. How about you? You busy? You know, when people say, how you doing? You go, ah, good, but... 
I'm good, I'm good, but I'm too busy. That's what we often say in this kind of the common greeting. Maybe you can relate to this. How do you like it when you're driving down Bayshore Boulevard and there's a slow driver in the left lane? Huh? How's that working for you? Huh? You like that, do you? How about this? Just, just in general, by the way, left turns. Huh? People taking left turns, that, that's immoral. You know that, don't you? Huh? Try getting a left turn on Dale Mabry. Go ahead. How about this? You're in you're what I do nine million times a week. I'm heading east on Beta Bay in the left lane to turn north on Dale Mabry, and there's enough cars because I count them. Maybe you're not quite as busy as I am, but I can't, can't am I gonna make it? And somebody when the arrow green turn left arrow is on their phone texting and they don't go and I miss it. How does that make you feel? Huh? Anybody starting to feel a little busy yet? Are you? How about this? Another one of mine. I get in line at PDQ in the car, and I see a hand go out at the window and back and forth at the order window, back and forth and back and forth, and I go, oh, a high-maintenance order. <laughs> and I'm right. And finally, you edge around the corner, and that car's there, and hands are coming back and forth, and things are going in the car, and you're going, oh, they're looking, they're going, it's the wrong thing, and it goes back and forth. And I just get wound tighter and tighter and tighter. Or PDQ, another one. I pull up to the window, and they're not ready. I'm thinking, do y'all realize you do chicken here? <laughs> That's your thing? Chicken is what's not to be ready. Anybody warming up yet to feeling it? Huh? What about when you're in the grocery store, and the line that you chose starts to slow down, and you can't get out? Huh? How's that working for you? Good? And I can go on and on and on. Here it is. Kristen mentioned it. There it is on the wall. We're selling them after church. I'm going to go out and stand next to the table. I am not an example of the goal. <laughs> and as David Dunkel said to me this morning, Jesus was never in a hurry. Never. Ask David about the illustration that he shared with me this morning. I would tell it, but I don't know the details well enough. Jesus was never in a hurry. And what we're going to do for weeks is we're going to commit ourselves to ruthlessly eliminate hurry because the way of Jesus is at the speed of love and hurry is incompatible with love. Hurry is incompatible with relationships. We're going to slow it down. Ruthless elimination of hurry. People get annoyed when they order their Starbucks on the phone and drive up to Starbucks and it's not there when they walk in. I've been in Starbucks. I never do that. I was with Jimmy Kazin once, by the way, and he ordered a Starbucks inside a Starbucks and then went over and got it. Didn't even talk to the baristas. He's in a real hurry, right? I don't want to be in a hurry. I don't want you to be in a hurry. I want to slow down in the way of Jesus, as we're going to explore, the way of Jesus is way slower than you and I have been. It, we've, we've been. We've been duped. And this is going to get worse as we, if we lean into the challenge and we start to analyze why we're in such a rapid, why we're racing around 
it, this is going to get worse before it gets better. Because if you buy it, and some of you won't, but maybe you will. I want you to buy it. Love is incompatible with hurry. See, I, I think you and I understand that we are a family of faith. We're relationships. And the, the kingdom of God is a kingdom where all the relationships are right, R-I-G-H-T. They're righted, made right, and, and go forward right. And you just can't love and do it in a hurry. It's not an, ex an, an accident that people talk about walking with God rather than running with God. That's not an accident. Because, see, a relationship, God is love. A relationship with God is walking. The speed of love is not hurry. Now, Jesus had a lot to do, yes, and everything he did was important, but he was never in a hurry, and he was interrupted constantly from one good thing to another, and he just never seemed to be uptight. Jesus didn't. There's a woman who helped rescue Jewish people from the Nazis. Her name Corey Ten Boom. She said this. She said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. So see, sin and busyness both have the same effect. And the effect is this. We're cut off from our connection to God, cut off from our connection to other people, cut off from our own souls. That's what happens to us. So again, just going to continue to talk and try to make the case that we have a problem. You have a problem. I have a problem. And we are fraught with it. We've been duped by the world around us, our culture. Two famous guys and a conversation. One of them is here on, he wrote the foreword to this book, which is why I'm quoting his conversation. His name is John Ortberg. He's sort of a mega person in my life. He's been the part, a leader in big, huge churches in the United States. And he, he's really smart and he writes really well, and he's, he's influenced me. He's a Presbyterian leader. I'm a Presbyterian leader, and he, he's just he's a great guy. And so what John has done is John has found himself attached to a man who's no longer living, Dallas Willard, who was sort of a spiritual um, formation person and also an academic, taught at the University of Southern California. Lots of people went to study and learn and grow. And John has met with Dallas regularly, and Dallas was sort of his mentor. And John says to him, Dallas, what do I need to do to like to be the complete me, to be all that God wants me to be? What do I need to do? And long pause, Dallas Willard responds to him and says the following, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ortberg pauses. A little bit of silence. He says, okay, what else? Another long pause from Dallas Willard who says, there is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Now let's just pause on that for a minute. If you were to ask me, before I started thinking about these things, and I, I, 
we, when I say we, I, it's we, the, um, your staff, the folks that you have employed here at First Pres, we went through the book together last year and decided to do this because of it. So we're, I'm going back through it again. It's just rocking my world again. And as I told you, I'm not an expert. <laughs> so if you were to ask me, what's the biggest spiritual challenge in Tampa right now today? Would I have said hurry? No. I might have said things like this. I might have said post-modernity. If you don't know what that means, come ask me. I'd love to talk with you about it. I might have said vacuous theology. I might have said the prosperity gospel. I might have said internet porn. I might have said violence in the Old Testament. I might have said innocent people who suffer. Never would I have said hurry. So that's, that's the challenge. Do you buy it? Let me try another way. In the human attempt to declare independence over time, let's go back. When did the clock first become a part of Western culture? Late 14th century. Okay? What came next as we declare independence? What technological revolution? Well, throw Gutenberg in there when he's in the 15th century, I think. But then the next thing happens, late 19th century, Thomas Edison, light bulb. We don't have to pay attention to day and night. We sleep less. We think we're going to gain up more time. In fact, we have less time. But here's the coup d'etat. Here's the thing that launched us into the world that we're in now. 2007, Steve Jobs released the iPhone into the wild. And we have not been the same since. My friends, this is an extension of my humanity. I'm literally shaking if I don't have it. I don't know how you are. We open them and touch them and look at them over and over again. You think and I think this thing works for me. There's no way. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. What I'm about to say is not that. This is business. This is algorithms. This thing is designed to steal your attention. Period. What's on there that isn't trying to get your attention? And if your attention and my attention is on this, and I'm afraid of missing out, FOMO, guess who I'm not paying attention to? I'm, my mind is no longer on Jesus. I cannot be close to him when I'm racing around all the time in a hurry, mad about the traffic, mad about my food not being ready. And he, How about this? How good are you at parenting? when you're in a hurry. Did you yell at your kids when you got them in the car to bring them to church this morning? <laughs> How many? So we're all laughing because we know that's what happens. I'm on my way to worship Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is just a little self-diagnostic. I'm opening the book up. And I, by the way, I'm selling the books for $18 out there after this is over. Okay? I'm going to stand next to the book table. Happy to, happy to, you're not going to, I'm not taking your money. Tony's taking your money, but I'm going to sell the book. 
There are 10 things here that John Mark Comer says are his symptoms, symptoms of hurry sickness. Now, I'm not going through all 10. Don't worry. Okay, but just I wanted to, I'm going to touch and go through a couple of them. Irritability. I just mentioned it on purpose. When I'm irritable, what, and the irritability don't, won't show up maybe at work or with your buddies, but go home. I, you know, I just jump on Kathy. And then I'm constantly saying I'm sorry. And then I constantly have to admit that I'm irritated. About what? That's just one symptom, irritability. Let me see. I find another one here. This one, he calls it either workaholism or just in parens, just nonstop activity. Yeah, that's, I got that one. How about this one? Lack of, number seven. See, I told you I wasn't going to do all ten. Lack of care for your body. Now, what that means is this. It means sleep. It means food. It means exercise. It means rest. It means recovery. Here's what John's having playfully said. He says, this is what we do. Instead of taking good care of our bodies, we have, we're riding and living off the four horsemen of the industrialized food apocalypse. You ready what they are? Sugar, caffeine, highly processed carbohydrates, and alcohol. Now, I, hey, I told you I was not, I'm no expert at this. But if, if you struggle and if those are some of the ways you're coping, you're not alone. Uh, related to that one, I think, is sort of escapist behaviors. And then the, the last one I'll mention is just the slippage of spiritual disciplines. And that's where we're headed with this series is how to build structure into our lives to be able to be stay close to Jesus given the huge challenges. So I hope I'm piquing your interest in this book. You're not going to agree with everything he says and you're not going to agree with everything I say, but I'm telling you what, he's going to light you up because he's going to help you do what we, this is what I want us to be, friends. I want us to be a family because that's what God's work is. That's what a church is. It's a family. I want us to be a family that wants to be apprenticed together to Jesus. Backing each other up, helping each other do it. How can I and we do this together? That's what I want us to be together. So have you maybe lost your soul or lost a part of it? I'm standing here in front of you telling you, I have. I want to get it back. Do you want to get it back? Let's get it back together. I don't want to be like this. And so Jesus says to us, uh, two passages that we look at, one really sort of develops the other. He says, follow me, Jesus does. And I will make you into fishers of people. Let me, let me walk you through that thing. Jesus says, follow me. In other words, choose to be with him. If you've never chosen to be with him, he's inviting you to begin. It's like marriage. You may believe in marriage. You may think it's a great thing. But you're not married until you choose to get married and you, you get married. So Jesus is saying, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I'm, I'm, I love you. 
But until you choose to be with me, have a relationship with me, that's the place we start. And if you already have a relationship with him, he's saying continue to choose to be with me. The next thing he says is I will make you. So he's going to turn us inside out into the people he wants us to be. We're going to become more like him. Part A, choose to be with him. Part B, allow him to transform us. I will make you. And then look at what the third part is. This is awesome. The speed of love. I'm going to have you be people that catch people. You're going to start catching people. What does Jesus do? Loves people. The speed of love. I'm getting text messages while I'm, <laughs> I didn't know my phone was on. So Jesus, Jesus is living life catching people. Some of the people he catches are on purpose wanting to stay away from him, like far from him and want to be far from him. But others don't even know they're not close. He catches them. And the others very much want to be close to him, and he catches them too. So Jesus is saying, follow me. Choose to do that. Allow me to make you transform you, you'll be more like me, and then we're going to together go and do what Jesus does, which is catch people. Love people. Love people. Hurried people cannot love people. Hurry and love are incompatible. Sit down on top of this, another place that Jesus talks about what it means to come to him. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. I want to read it through and then comment on it. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke, think of oxen, upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Just a couple of things about that text. The word come to me here in English is exactly the same word as in the previous text, follow me, duete. They mean the same thing. Come to me, follow me, be with me, choose me. It's an invitation. What it means to be a follower of Jesus is all inside of this. Weary, burdened, hurried, uptight, irritable, slipping in my disciplines, not taking good care of myself, binge watching the endless hours of stuff that really don't make a good a difference in my life, whatever it is, burdened, and I will give you rest. That's what we need. Take my yoke on you and learn from me. I wanted to say something about the word learn. In Greek, uh, M-A-T-H, it would be in English. M-A-T-H, you're aware of that meaning math, but this is not what it means. The, you'll learn from me as a noun. The word for disciple, same word. Mathetes is the noun for when we When you see in the New Testament the word disciple, it's this word. This is the verb form, the, the noun form. In other words, learners of Jesus, apprentices, staying as close to him as we can so that when the, his sandals flip some dirt up in the air, some of it lands on me. I become more like him. It's the whole point of being an apprentice is to be close. I'm humble, he says. He want, 
he says, apprentice yourself with me. Copy the details of my life. Allow the template of my day-to-day life to become your own. Those are the kind of things that Jesus wants to say to us. Now, a yoke is a work instrument, right? Think of oxen. And the last thing you want is more work. You don't want more work. You want a vacation. (laughs) You want a mattress and just lie down and sleep. But notice what he says. You're learning from me. He's never in a hurry. And he's doing the heavy lifting. It's light. So if you think of the image, the metaphor of the oxen, Jesus is carrying most of the weight. He's not saying life is easy. Oh, no. He's he's saying life is going to be tough. But being with me is going to be easy. So I have, I have this illustration to help us understand all this. What you and I need is structure for our lives. Imagine this having a grapevine and branches and fruit on it. Because see, Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. You have to stay connected to me. Apart from me, you can't bear fruit. So here's the structure. And we're going to work with this for the next six or eight weeks. We're going to add stuff to it and make it cool. It's a trellis. I got it at Lowe's. What Jesus is saying is you need structure and I need structure in my life. And where do we get it from? We copy him. We get real close. And what did Jesus do? He, He says, do what I do. So I'm going to give it to us in three pieces real quickly here. The three pieces that Jesus is going to give us is the first one, be with him. So what does that mean? Be with him means these kinds of things, that if you great, if you have a grapevine and it doesn't have a trellis, it falls down on itself and withers, right? If you don't have, and if I don't have structure in my life, then I'm going to be duped by the tyranny of this hurry that we live in. You need structure. Choosing to be with Jesus involves these kinds of things. Now, if you're a brand new kind of baby as at faith, then some of this is going to seem like really, really thick meat. If you're, if you're a mature follower of Jesus, some of this is going to seem kind of routine. Either way, you can never not do it. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, you must abide in me, A-B-I-D-E. The verb appears seven times in about a few verses. Menane is the verb. Stay close to me. How do we do that? Prayer. We read scripture. This one, the next one's really hard for me. And again, you may be anywhere on this thing. So we're going to silence. <laughs> Here's what I do in the morning. I get up and I turn on my music in my car and I drive downtown and I park. And I used to leave music on the whole time I was sitting there and I realized I'm violating the deal here. It's not working. So I turn it off. So I'm sitting in my car in silence. And some of you are down at the Y. You see me there and I'm doing my reading and my prayer and everything else. So I had to grow into silence. Some people get up in the morning. The very first thing they do is turn on music or television. Ah. And you're wondering why you don't feel close to Jesus. And I'm wondering why I don't feel close. Well, it's too much noise. Silence. But so I would say prayer. I'd say reading scripture. I'd say solitude and silence. Give me 10 minutes tomorrow morning. If you're brand new at this, maybe 15. And you get up and read the gospel of John. Just start at the beginning. 
and take notes on a piece of paper if something strikes you. What, is it, what did I learn about God? What did I learn about myself? And just be quiet. And then stop and pray, but start with things that are bothering you in the lives of other people. Say, God, take care of them, whatever. And then say, thank you, God, for stuff that's good in your life. To others than me. If you start with me, you'll never get to others. Another really important discipline that we do every single month is fasting. I have two friends that are right now on 21-day fasts. I didn't even know that was a thing. It's a thing. I'm going to have to do it. That's not a promise. (laughs) (laughs) If you're going to abide, three things. We're going to choose to be with Jesus, or I'm calling it abiding in Jesus, John chapter 15. Those are the elements. You see, because it's going to wither and dry up your life and my life if you don't have that structure. Start with 15 minutes. Call it my 15 don't say you don't have time because then you're just, the, Corey Ten Boone is right. The devil couldn't get you to sin, but the devil got you to be busy. You do have time. Go to sleep a little earlier and get up a little earlier. The next thing is become like Jesus. And, and, and one of the ways we can do that, there are a million ways. I'm just going to give you an example. So we're choosing to follow Jesus, and so we have to stay close to him. We're going to let him make us. We're going to become like him a little bit more, and I'm going to ask you to think about relationships in your life, really important ones. It could be your marriage. It could be your family. It could be a friend. It could be somebody in your church family. And I want you to call that person up and go have coffee or lunch with them. Just put yourself out there and on purpose, intentionally, in somebody else's life. And the the third thing, so we're choosing to be with Jesus. We're going to allow ourselves to become more like him. And then we're going to go on mission with Jesus or do the kind of stuff Jesus did, which is what? Catch people. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to figure out who there is out there who's a friend of yours who you think probably isn't a Jesus follower and just invite that person to a meal or invite them to go do some kind of service that you do. Invite them to, maybe if you're in a life group, to your life group, invite them into some place where you can just hang out together. Go invite them to play golf. But on purpose, here's the word that really makes it operative. Invest. Invest relationally. And love goes slow. Incompatible with rushing. Every system is perfectly designed to get the results that it gets. We need a new system. You need a new system. I need a new system. The trellis is a support. It's not confining, restricting. So time with Jesus, investing in friendships, investing in people who we think may not be close to God, all of those are structures then our lives begin to grow in vitality as we build that structure into our life. Without the structure, everything sort of collapses on top of itself and slowly withers and dies. I want us to be a family of Jesus' apprentices. Let's do it together. By the book, I'm going to pray. Then we're going to do one more really cool thing. Gracious God, we are your sons and daughters, and we want to to get this right. It just grieves me. Think of how I'm so busy, and what is that about? 
you are never in a hurry. We don't want to be in a hurry. We're going to choose you. We're going to get out of the way and let you make it more like yourself. We're going to then go do what you would do, which is to go on a mission to love people really well. We're going to catch people. Thank you, gracious God, that as a family, nobody does this alone. There are no hermits. We do it together as brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to do something really unique. We do it once a year, and I'm going to, we are going to ordain and install the elders of the class of 2024, and I'm going to invite Caroline Allman, Jim Davis, Shamus Warren, and um, uh, I'm going blank. John Molinax. Doc, come on. You guys, you four guys, come on up here, four men and women. Some of you have been aware of, aware of this good Presbyterian thing. Hey. Caroline Allman, Shamus Warren, John Mullinax, Jim Davis. And by the way, we have two scientists. Caroline and John are both scientists. Uh, that's kind of scary, isn't it? Huh? They're way smart. They're going to catch me doing anything I do wrong. What we're doing is this. You elected them, and you just didn't remember. So what we're doing now is we're installing them. We're installing them beginning immediately. So we have 12 people who are a part of this session. These four will, will become, as of today, right now, they will be ruling elders leading us in the work of the church. And so what I'm going to do is this. They, they are, I'm going to read the questions to them. I think I want you guys all over here together. I think the camera can see you a little better if we're this way. Is that right, Tony? Yep. Don't go too far, Jim. There you go, buddy. So I'm going to read them a bunch of questions. And they're going to answer, I will and I do. Okay? And then I'm going to ask you two questions. So what we're doing is this. We're installing uh, all four of them, but Jim has already been ordained because he's coming back as another term. So we're ordaining these three, and we're installing the, all four of them. Jim has been ordained before. We're going to do something cool in just a second. I'm going to read these questions to them, and they have seen them, and they've studied them inwardly and outwardly and digested them. Haven't you? Yeah. Great questions. Do you trust in Jesus Christ, your Savior, acknowledge him Lord of all and head of the church, and through him believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Do you? Do you accept the scriptures of the Old Testament to be by the Holy Spirit, the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ and the church universal and God's word to you? Do you? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the essential tenets of the Reformed faith as expressed in the confessions of our church? Now, all of that's about Presbyterian history, okay? That's what that means. They know that. We've, we've gone over this together. And do you receive them in, as reliable expositions of what Scripture leads us to believe and do? Do you? And will you be instructed and led by those confessions as you lead the people of God? Will you? Will you fulfill your ministry? in obedience to Jesus Christ under the authority of Scripture and continually be guided by it, will you? 
will you be ch- governed by our church's polity? That's a fancy word that means church government. And we're representative Democrats, representative democracy, right? That's what we are. Will you be governed by our church's polity? And will you abide by its discipline? Will you be a friend among your colleagues in ministry, working with them, subject to the ordering of God's word and spirit? Will you? Will you in your own life seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, love your neighbors, and work for the reconciliation of the world, will you? Do you promise to further the peace, unity, unity, and purity of the church? Do you? Will you pray for and seek to serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love? Will you? Will you be a faithful ruling elder, watching over the people, providing for their worship, for their nurture, for their service? Will you share in government discipline, serving in the councils of the church? And in your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? Will you? And then two questions for us. Do we, as the members of First Presbyterian Church, accept Shamus and Caroline and John and Jim as ruling elders chosen by God through the voice and vote of this congregation. Will you uh, allow them to lead us in the way of Jesus Christ? Will you? Do you agree to pray for them, to encourage them, to respect their decisions and to follow as they guide us, serving Jesus Christ, who alone is the head of the church? Do you? Cool. Now here's what we're going to do. We're going to lay hands on them, and then I'm going to pray a prayer. So if you are a person who is ordained, now you, you get to come and join us. So I'm going to get you four to come stand here, and we're going to put our hands. We're, the three here are, are getting hands laid on, and everybody else is just connecting. Again, Jim is already ordained. So these three are the inner circle being ordained, and all four are installed. And any person who is an ordained person, please come forward and just t- touch somebody so you're connected. We good? Anybody else? I will pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you give gifts of leadership in this special kind of leadership to serve as an ordained leader in the church, an elder, a person who makes decisions, a person who looks out for the worship and nurture and service of your family of faith and figuring out what it means that we're going to be your people right here at this address, in this location, in this neighborhood. Gracious God, guide them. Give them clarity of purpose and mind. Give them a sense of serving you and love. Gracious God, help them to help us fall more deeply in love with you so that we might then in turn go and catch people the way you want us to do. Thank you, gracious God, that we are your sons and daughters. We're a family, and we have phenomenal, gifted, sacrificial, talented people who are willing to serve. Thank you that you called them. Thank you that they are now in place as you have provided. Help us, gracious God, to order our life around our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. It would be totally appropriate to hug or clap or anything else you wanted to do. My good friends, I'm going to invite you to stand as we, as we sing our way out of our 
of our gathering this morning.